Today on Regionally Speaking, the Indiana Arts Commission recently announced that Curtis L. Chrysler has been named the new Indiana Poet Laureate. Born and raised in Gary, Chrysler is a professor of English at Purdue University, Fort Wayne. The Poet Laureate program is meant to bring poetry to every corner of the state. But up first, the 2024 Indiana General Assembly is at the halfway mark. Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch recently joined us in studio to share a legislative update as well as give her thoughts on cuts proposed by FSSA to address a $1 billion shortfall in its Medicaid budget. All of that on this edition of Regionally Speaking. The 2024 Indiana General Assembly recently marked the first half of the legislative session. In total, 297 bills were introduced in the Senate, and of those, 110 were passed. Upon final passage in the Senate, 88% of bills received bipartisan support, and 58% received unanimous support. Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch is in the region today to provide a legislative update as well as share her thoughts on cuts proposed by FSSA to address a $1 billion shortfall in its Medicaid budget. Suzanne Crouch is the 52nd Lieutenant Governor of the wonderful state of Indiana. Lieutenant Governor Crouch, thank you so much for joining us here in studio at Lakeshore Public Media. It's great to be with you, Dee, and finally meet you in person. Absolutely. And you're as beautiful as I imagine. Thank you. Now, I, I want to start our conversation because you're in the region today because you joined Edgewater Health President and CEO. CEO, Dr. Danita Johnson, who led a discussion at the Welcome Center titled Leading with Power and Confidence. And following that discussion, you hosted an intimate fireside chat with guests that allowed for an intentional setting for the audience to ask questions as well as an opportunity for you to share Indiana's commitment to empower women. Now, we hear women's empowerment a lot. We hear that being thrown around a lot. But I want to speak to you about why you take so much joy in speaking to and with women leaders. And to that point, what has it been like for you in your career as a public servant, looking to your left and your right and seeing such a small delegation of women leaders that look like you? Well, you know, uh, it, it, throughout my years in public service, I never really thought of what I was doing as being a woman. It was more that I'm Suzanne Crouch, this is what I'm doing. But I've recognized as I've gotten older that it's so important to bring other women up with me because uh, we need more women, quite honestly, in business positions. Mm -hmm. We also need women in government uh, and, and more in policy making positions. And so while we represent D women, 51% mm -hmm. of the electorate and 51% of the population in the General Assembly with 150 members, it's only 27%. Wow. So we would have better laws if quite honestly, the body was more reflective of the population at large. So, you know, I try to empower other women. I try to inspire them to the fact that they can do whatever they set their mind to do and inspire yourself and think of yourself as a woman leader in government. Mm -hmm. uh, because we weren't raised to believe that we could be senators or Congress people or, you know, governors or, you know, presidents. CEOs, you know, absolutely. Yeah, we don't see ourselves that way. So we need to be sure that we're bringing other people up and inspiring them that they can do whatever they can, whatever they want to do. Absolutely. I, I love the way you, you, you've shared that view. That is awesome. Now, Lieutenant Governor Crouch, 
one of the agencies you lead, the Indiana Housing and Community Development Authority and the Corporation for Supportive Housing recently announced that four teams across the state were selected to participate in the 2024 Indiana Supportive Housing Institute. Lake Park or Lake County is a team representing the region. And I should note for our listening audience, that team is comprised of the following organizations, Northwest Indiana CAP Association, Gratis Development, as well as Regional Care Group and Regional Health Systems. Tell us about the Supportive Housing Institute and what it will mean for the unhoused population across the Hoosier State. Absolutely. You know, the Indiana Housing Community Development Authority actually supports that affordable housing. And affordable housing means not low-income housing. It means affordable housing. So the rent has to be 60% of the median income. And so we, and we know that what we want are housing developments that really change people's lives and really add to the quality of life in the region, wherever it is that we are doing that development. And we have done housing developments for people with disabilities. We've done housing developments for homeless veterans. We've done housing developments for women who are pregnant and addicted to drugs that want to deliver healthy babies, drug-free babies. Uh, And we have done housing developments for elderly people. Mm -hmm. And so what we want through our institute is to work with developers around the state, having them understand that these developments that we're supporting have to be not only in the community, but reflective of the community. And we want it to be in places where there is access to amenities. So walking distance to the shopping center. So if we're doing an elderly development, that makes it accessible for them. That makes sense. And also, really focused on quality of life and how do we improve the quality of life, not only of the residents, but of the community as a whole. And we're proud Mm -hmm. that we have a development up here in Northwest Indiana, because I'll tell you what, Mm -hmm. Northwest Indiana is where it's happening. That is so very, very true. And I have had many conversations with economists here in the region about this migration of people moving from my state, Illinois, over to Indiana. Oftentimes I've had conversations with people who run agencies for the unhoused and they speak about how many people come from Illinois unhoused to Northwest Indiana and struggling to find resources to accommodate not only Hoosiers, but those as well. And so your sentiments that you shared, we're all so excited for this institute. So I'm I'm so glad that you are 100% behind it. Well, and housing is a need that you know, has to be recognized and fulfilled all over the state. We have a lack of housing, you know, and so we need to be sure that if we're growing our economy and creating more jobs, Mm -hmm. we have to have places for people to live. Because someone told me once that a home, a house is where jobs go to sleep at night. Oh, I like that quote. I, can yeah. I, I'm going to steal that quote. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to steal that quote. Lieutenant Governor Crouch, so again, you were at the Welcome Center in Hammond earlier today. So it's only fitting that I shift our conversation to tourism. The Indiana Destination Development Corporation is another one of the four agencies you oversee as the Lieutenant Governor. Your office recently released a new economic impact analysis of non-resident spending that shows the Indiana tourism industry growing momentum and having continued positive economic impact. 
Now, in our past conversations, we have discussed tourism as an economic driver, particularly here in the region. But I want to share with our listening audience two highlights from the report. The report notes that tourism generated $2.8 billion in federal, state, and local taxes. And it also notes that Indiana tourism supported 200,000 full and part-time jobs. So I want to talk a bit more about how this new data shows how essential the tourism industry is to the state's economy. And also, does this report help put into perspective the necessity of planning for tourism growth? Oh, absolutely, Dee. And we know that how we grow our population, it starts with a visit. We've got mm-hmm. to get people to come to Indiana. And once we get them here and they recognize the quality of life we have and all the great amenities that we have here in Indiana, we have a great chance of keeping them here as residents. And so we want to focus on telling that story of Indiana because we've got a great story to tell. I mean, we're an incredible state, mm-hmm. but we are also humble Hoosiers. So we work hard, we put our nose to the grindstone, and we do what's right, right? That's true. But we don't pat ourselves on the back, and therefore we aren't very good at telling our story. And so the Indiana Destination Development Corporation, in collaboration with Northwest Indiana Tourism and South Shore Convention Center, are focused on how do we tell the story of Northwest Indiana? Because it's a very special story. And when I look at Northwest Indiana, I see possibilities and opportunities. And I know that Northwest Indiana is going to be leading the state in the future because of the diversity that is here, the cultural diversity, the ethnicity, you know, the the celebration of life that people have. And so we want to be able to push that message out. We want to be able to tell people how great Northwest Indiana is. Mm -hmm. And so the Indiana Destination Development Corporation looks at partnering with our local partners to get that message out. And, you know, when you look at it, Indiana doesn't spend much in terms of marketing our state. So we look at our neighboring states and they're spending anywhere from 20 to 60 million dollars a year to market their states. Well, you hear the Pure Michigan ads, you hear the Chicago ads, you hear all these states that are selling their states. Mm -hmm. And in the past, we have spent $2 $2 million to wow. sell Indiana. So we're looking at really upping that ante okay. and being able to get our message out more. Mm-hmm. Because when we bring people to Indiana, we have a chance of getting them to stay here. But it's also, as you pointed out, about economic development. You know, I mean, it contributes, tourism contributes $15 billion to our state's economy and wow. 68 cents. Of every tourism dollar that's spent in a community stays in that community. Wow. You know, wow. I was here last summer for the pierogi festival. I remember. You know, and the wackiest. And I spent money here, and mm-hmm. that money stayed here. And mm-hmm. so, you know, being able yeah. to sell Northwest Indiana and tell the great story of all the wonderful things that are going on here brings money and people into this area. So let's turn our conversation to a topic that you have served as a vocal ally for. And that is improving the lives of disabled Hoosiers. You are the chair of the Indiana Intellectual and Developmental Disabilities Task Force. And earlier this week, you hosted a media opportunity in your office at the State House regarding the FSSA's proposed cuts to the Attended Care Program, which provides funding to parents and legal guardians who care for their medically complex children. For those that may be unfamiliar with this topic and what's going on right now at the State House, please share with our listening audience what are the proposed cuts. 
Sure. And, you know, the Intellectual Developmental Disability Task Force really focuses on Hoosiers with autism, Down syndrome, or cerebral palsy. Right. So we're talking about a disabled, needy population. Right. So currently, if you are a parent and you have a child that is severely disabled and has complex medical needs like a trach tube or a feed tube or you have a ventilator, mm-hmm. you know, or you have, you know, epilepsy and you need seizure medicine immediately upon, you know, having a seizure. Right. These children have complex medical needs. And right now, the parents can take care of the children and be compensated. Mm-hmm. And so what we are trying to do, what FSSA, Family Social Services Administration, is trying to do is in December, they discovered a billion-dollar error in their budget projections. Mm-hmm. Now they're wanting to make cuts and not pay these parents. And I'm saying, first of all, how do you make a billion-dollar mistake if right. it was the private sector, heads would be rolling. That's true. You know, and right. but yet we want to put that mistake and that cost on the backs of these parents and their children. Right. The right. problem is if we don't pay parents to take care of their children and we say we can let other people come in and take care of them, where are the other people? We have a shortage of pediatric nurses. We have a shortage of workers everywhere. And so if we can't get people to come in and take care of these children, then they're going to have to be institutionalized. And we don't want that. That We want to keep these children in their families and keep their families intact with their loving arms around them. So I called for a pause in the program, which is supposed to go into place July 1, until they can figure out how to answer questions. Because a week ago, we had a meeting of the, I call it IDD, IDD task force. And when we asked FSSA questions that parents had given us about this new program, they couldn't answer the questions. So I said, let's stop. Let's pause this until we can get the questions answered so that these parents understand and feel like their children are going to be taken care of. And then I, of course, yesterday had a media availability where we had a parent with her daughter in the office and being able to put a human face on this picture. And at that time, I called for an independent audit of SSA. So if they can make a billion dollar mistake in their projections, let's look at their agency, see what kind of efficiencies we can realize in cost savings that maybe we don't have to then put the burden on these parents and their children. Now, you said something that I want to go back to for just a moment, okay? That that so essentially the plan would be to shift that care from legally responsible adults as attendants to private care, in-home care. But you, you pushed back on that because you did a comparison on the rate that is paid to a home health care agency as opposed to a family member. And it was almost, I think, a 50 percent difference in what agencies would be paid. And, you, and again, as you shared there is a shortage of healthcare workers. And so it frightens me to hear that the alternative ultimately would be that those medically complex children and adults would have no other option but to go to a facility. You know, and, and that isn't what anyone wants. No. But, you know, Dee, at the end of the day, we're going to be judged by how we care for the most vulnerable among us. And we need to be judged 
properly and we need to be judged proudly. And that's why we have a responsibility to these children and to their families to make sure that they are able to receive the kind of care that they need because these aren't children you put in in front of a TV set and you feed them a couple times a day. These are children that need 24-7 medical care. Right. And so, you know, we're going to continue to push back. I've asked the governor to be intercede and to kind of pause this mm-hmm. until we could get answers. I've asked the General Assembly to be able to intercede and take whatever action needs to be taken to be sure that these families are taken care of. And I'm not going to stop speaking right. out, you know, until we get an adequate solution. I just had another thought. It would seem to me that a medically complex child They're dealing with some serious issues. It would appear to me that care from a loved one would be better received from that medically complex child or adult than care from a home health care agency. And I'm not taking away from professional home health care aides, but if I am medically complex, I would probably prefer that my mother or my grandmother or a loved one provide me with constant round-the-clock care. I think you're right, Dee. I think you hit the nail on the head. I think you're absolutely right. And these people make a sacrifice. They have to give up their jobs. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, they're not, we're talking about, we're talking about a population that's not rich. We're talking about people that really are struggling in life financially, you know, and so to deny them the ability to take care of their loved ones, who they are totally 150% dedicated to, doesn't seem to me to be the right direction to be moving in. Lieutenant Governor Crouch, let's talk about another key issue that is happening right now on the floor at the State House during the 2024 legislative session, and that is efforts to enhance early child care access and quality. Region lawmaker, Republican State Senator Ed Charbonneau is actually leading that effort to make child care more accessible and affordable across the Hoosier State. Should Senate Bill 2 child care, which I should note has received bipartisan support, Should that bill be approved by both the House and the Senate to advance to Governor Eric Holcomb to be signed into law, what will that mean for working families across the Hoosier State? Well, we know that there are about, the last study I saw from Department of Workforce Development, there were 130,000 Hoosiers that wanted to be in the workforce but couldn't get there. Half of them were women. Now, Dee, I bet I know why those women were not in the workforce. Hmm. A big, big reason is probably they didn't have access to child care or it wasn't affordable. And so what we're trying to do is look at putting out grant money, you know, to employers or to nonprofits that want to create child care opportunities within their community. But then we're also looking at the rules, regulations, and restrictions to make sure that we're not making it cost prohibitive mm. for employers or nonprofits to actually do this. Okay. All the all the while keeping that child's safety a number one priority. But if we can make it easier for people to get into that space, and then we can provide some kind of incentive to help them, we can get more people in the workforce. We can also ensure that these children are getting quality child care. I'm a big proponent of early childhood education. You know, when I, in 2013, when I was a state representative, I co-authored the actual bill that established our early childhood education pilot program. And so we know that child care is a way to get people into the workforce. We also know that child care and early childhood education is a way to give opportunity to every child and give them the start they deserve. Absolutely. I had no clue that you authored that. So oh, I'm yeah. so excited. It was a while that. ago. Lieutenant Governor Crouch, you are here in studio with me today in your capacity, again, as the Lieutenant Governor of the state of Indiana. But I want to spend our last few minutes together pivoting from 
discussing the current legislative session and talk about your bid to be the next governor of the Hoosier State. In the time that we have left, I want to talk about your appeal to voters from both political parties. You are one of six Republicans running for governor. Now, I'm not sure if surprise is the correct word for this, but full transparency. When I heard of a fundraiser that was being held for you in Indy late last year that was hosted by Marianne Glick, president and owner of Glick Art, who is described as a frequent Democratic contributor, I tuned in. So I have to ask you, as a GOP gubernatorial candidate, do you see more Democrats gravitating to your campaign? You know, I see people responding to the fact that I want to give a voice to Hoosiers and I want to be in a position as governor of the state to impact policy that will give them more freedom and more opportunity in life. You know, I have a heart for serving, Uh, you know, and one of the things that I want to do is give people more economic freedom, allow them to keep more of their own money. It's why I propose that we eliminate the state income tax. Mm -hmm. You know, we even call it ax in the tax. Ax the tax. Because I want to I want to give people more of their money back, you know, because it's their money and they will always spend it more wisely than the government. So I want to make sure that they get to keep it. And, you know, to the average Hoosier, that's $2,000 a year of their own money we allow them to keep. You know, people, bureaucrats, you know, big spenders, my opponents, they're all screaming bloody murder and saying it can't be done. But as former vice chair of the House Ways and Means Committee, as former auditor of state, it absolutely can be done. Wow. It's not going to be easy. Mm-hmm. We have to phase it in. Okay. We have to have triggers in place to protect against economic downturn. But I'm let me be perfectly clear. I'm talking about a tax cut, not a tax replacement. Okay. And we can do it if we limit government growth, if we end wasteful government spending and we find efficiencies in government, we can eventually get rid of that state income tax. Not only do we put money into people's pockets, but we make Indiana a no-income tax state. Mm. Because today, that's where people are moving, right? They're moving to Tennessee, Texas, and Florida, that's true. which are all no-income tax state. The Tax Foundation says that Indiana is 10th in the country for our overall tax environment. But seven of, the, seven of the states ahead of us have no sales or income tax. So when we get rid of the income tax, we give you money, but we also attract people and are able to grow our population and fill those 100,000 jobs that are unfilled today. Finally, before we let you get out of here, because I know you have to get back on the road, I want to ask you this question because it goes right back in some ways to the reason why you are in the region today. And that was to speak to a group of women leaders about women's empowerment. Again, your race for governor has been underway since December 12th, 2022. And since that time, a lot of men have thrown their hat into the ring. If you take the race, you will be Indiana's first female governor. You said at the start of our conversation that you don't let being a woman define you in terms of your commitment to public service, but your entire career in public service has served as moment after moment of you shattering the ceiling in your quiet time at home. Do you do you let this sink in? No, I'm just Suzanne Crouch doing my job, you know, trying to do the very best I can, trying to help people and give them a better life and give them more opportunities, you know, grow our population, you know, take care of people who don't have a voice and be able to speak out for them. But I am aware when, when young girls particularly come up to me and say, you know, I just love you, you know, I want to be, I want to be like you, you know, I want to be a governor one day. And so I got to get there. That's what I've got to do. So I don't disappoint them. 
Absolutely. So, Lieutenant Governor Crouch, we spoke about you shattering the glass ceiling every step of the way as a public servant. And so, I want to ask you, because we have this wonderful group of children here today, was there any experience in your childhood that led you to be the Lieutenant Governor and the person as a public speaker that you are today, a public servant as you are today? You know, when I was about eight years old, I was almost as tall as I am today. So, I was taller than all the kids in the school and most of the teachers. And what kids do at that age is they make fun of you if you're different. Yeah. And so they would call me the Jolly Green Giant and how's the weather up there? And, you know, while that was funny to them, for me, a young girl struggling to fit in, it was a very difficult time in my life. And I remember... I remember talking to my father, and he said, you know, Suzanne, when kids are making fun of you, it's because they're insecure. That's true. So he said, the next time they call you the Jolly Green Giant, just make a joke out of it. So the next time they call me the Jolly Green Giant, I responded with a hearty ho, 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 (laughs) and eventually the teasing stopped. Good. But you see, my father taught me a very valuable lesson in life. He taught me that when I could accept myself in spite of my imperfections, then I could accept and respect the differences in other people. And I soon came to realize it's those differences that make each of us unique and adds to the beauty of the world. And so that life lesson has stayed with me, that we have to accept each other. And we have to understand that we all have our worlds, and all our worlds don't look alike. And so it is why I have gotten into public service. It's why I have served as a county auditor, a county commissioner, a state representative, Mm -hmm. auditor of state, lieutenant governor, and now running for the governor of the state of Indiana. And I can just say, because we've had many conversations before, and I can really and truly see those kind words that your father instilled in you. I can really and truly see those words reflected in your your service day in and day out at the state house and across the Hoosier State. So I want to thank your father for speaking life into you at such a very young age. Lieutenant Governor Crouch, I know that you are always crisscrossing the state, hitting every corner of the state, ensuring that you speak to constituents about their cares and their concerns. And oftentimes you will speak to people people directly about their concerns. And so I don't take it lightly that you carved out time today to spend with us here at Lakeshore Public Media. So I thank you for coming here to our studios. I thank you for spending time with us. And I thank you for sharing your thoughts with our listeners in Northwest Indiana. It's good to be with you. And having once worked in in public television, I support what you're doing. And and I'm glad to be here with you and finally meet you in person, Dee. And welcome back to Regionally Speaking on listener-supported Lakeshore Public Media. The Indiana Arts Commission announced on January 25th that Curtis L. Chrysler has been named the new Indiana Poet Laureate. Chrysler is the eighth Hoosier named to this honorary position and succeeds Matthew Graham, who has held the role since 2020. Chrysler was chosen by a selection committee that included seven representatives of Indiana's colleges and universities as well as the Indiana Arts Commission Executive Director. Established in 2005, the Poet Laureate Program is meant to bring poetry to every corner of the state. Born and raised in Gary, Chrysler is a professor of English at Purdue University, Fort Wayne. An award-winning poet and author, Chrysler's Doing Drive-Bys on How to Love in the Midwest won the CNR Press Award for Poetry. He has published numerous other poetry books, young adult books, poetry chapbooks, 
has been anthologized in many publications and published in a variety of magazines and journals. As Poet Laureate, Chrysler will make appearances in schools and libraries, as well as offer guidance to the Indiana Arts Commission concerning ways to further the art of poetry in Indiana and represent Indiana and the art of poetry to the community and public. Joining us now to talk about this exciting new honor is Curtis L. Chrysler himself. Curtis, thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Alan, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Now, now I don't know if I should call you Mr. Chrysler, Professor Chrysler. Just call me Curtis. <laughs> Wait a minute now, because you have so many titles. Should I call you Mr. Wordsmith or what? And the reason that I no. say that is because you are you are just so accomplished um, in everything that you do, but it, also you were recently appointed Indiana's Poet Laureate, not a small mm-hmm. feat, not a small feat at all, especially because the selection po- process was quite rigorous and you bested some of the greatest artists in the state. Now, before we look at your new designation, I want to spend a few moments walking through your genesis and what led mm-hmm. you to pro- poetry. And, and for a listening audience, I do want to also add that you are a region native. So walk me through your genesis. Yeah, I'm from, my father was from Chicago, my mother's from Gary, and uh, she had me at 17. So that was uh, young. And what's interesting about that in and of itself, there's a picture of me, her two brothers, and my sister at her graduation because she had to go to night school to get her uh, degree. And this is back when you could, it would be considered, I don't know, cruelty today, I, I would think. But I would watch my sister until she got home from school. And then, you know, she would come in. My sister would always be asleep. And she would come in and everything. And so I had to be four or five years old doing that. Wow. I was, I was going to school on my own uh, when I went to uh, Washington Elementary School. I would have a key in my shoe. I would go, you know, walk to school, walked home, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Uh, so we were living in the projects by the Good Corner then over there. And then we moved to the Laney Project. And uh, then um, my mother moved to the suburbs of Glen Ryan, uh, out by the beach, uh, towards uh, work. And so I went to uh, David O. Duncan to sixth grade. The year I got out of sixth grade, they moved sixth grade to middle school that next year. So um, I went from David O. Duncan. I thought I was going to go to Beckman, like I said earlier. Well, when we were talking, and uh, I didn't because we moved to uh, Glen Ryan out by the beach. And then I went to Kennedy King and then I ended up going to uh, work in uh, work high school. And I graduated from work in 1983. And from there, I went to ITT in Fort Wayne and I got my associate's degree in architectural engineering. And I set out for a couple of years. I was working like three, four jobs doing all kind of stuff. Uh, cooking, modeling, uh, just anything, uh, dancing, doing crazy things. And then I went back to school after talking with a, uh, my ex-girlfriend's father about the if I could have, should have, would have. And it took me like nine years to graduate, but I graduated, got my uh, BA in English with a minor in theater. Then I went to grad school at uh, Southern Illinois University in Carbondale. 
and got my MFA in poetry. And I came back to Fort Wayne in 2004. I was working part-time. Then I got uh, on to visiting. Then I got full. Then I got tenure. And in 2022, I recently got a full professor. So now it's just Professor Chrysler instead of having an associate professor or assistant professor. And yeah, now I'm uh, the poet laureate for Indiana, which is still blowing my mind. <laughs> <laughs> blowing your mind. Yeah. You know, I'm amazing as you share with us, with our listening audience, your genesis. And I'm trying to wrap my mind around from young adulthood. That, mm-hmm. that that part of your story where you, you share with us that you have a degree in architectural engineering. And I'm trying to wrap my mind around to understand how you go from that to modeling and dancing to now being, and, and obviously <laughs> professor, to now being Indiana's Poet Laureate. And I know you said you're still trying to wrap your mind around it and it's it's exciting, mm-hmm. but I just have to ask you, like, are you really taking it in? It, well, it's, it's- I haven't really had time to take it in uh, yeah, it's because new. it's it's just been like so overwhelming. I've been I don't know how many interviews I've done, the emails, the texts, the phone calls have been really. I mean, for me, I'm I'm a very laid back type of person, so I enjoy my downtime as well as my uptime and stuff like that. So usually I have time. You know, I plan. Hey, y'all want to go out to you know get some brunch or something like that, you know, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I'll hang out with, you know, someone and we'll do that. But now I just haven't had, I still have my Christmas tree up. I haven't had time to take down my Christmas <laughs> oh, tree. Oh, wow. That's how crazy it's been. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, well, full disclosure, I still have my Christmas decorations on, on my porch. So full disclosure. So, <laughs> so you're, you're, you're okay. Now, now let me ask you, mm-hmm. how were you even chosen as Indiana's Poet Laureate? Well, you, you go through this process. So what happened? So in 2020, my friend put my name in and I made it to the finals in 2020. But two people that were on the com- committee were knew me so they had to recuse themselves and my friend who put my name in she said something to the effect well you should you should try again I was like oh, I don't think so I don't you know and and for some reason I was thinking about her and I said okay I'll try again for Marcy and so I put my name in and then you you go through the the aspects of following the questions and then they have different things for you like there's after the first set of questions and things that you get, if you made it into the next phase, then they had interviews with you and stuff like that. So I had a Zoom interview with the committee. And then after that, uh, I had another Zoom in- interview with the director of IAC. And so then that's when she told me. So, yeah, um, it's um, they want to know basically uh, about you how you look at stuff, what you plan to do, what how you're going to uh, get poetry out there, uh, uh, be a steward of poetry and things of that nature. Right, right. So, And I was going to ask you, so this program is meant to bring poetry to every corner of the state, right? So take a moment to share with our listening audience really and truly what this means for the Hoosier State and how will you in your two-year term bring poetry to every corner of the state? Well, I think the the overall thing is just uh, hearing a voice um, 
from a Hoosier who's like me and for people who look like me to see that. And I think that's really powerful because I'm the second African-American Indiana Poet Laureate. And uh, my friend, actually, who was the first is Adrian uh, Matita. We went to SIU together. So it's kind of crazy that, you know, there's all these commonalities that are happening around that overlap in, in that sense. So there's that. But I want to get out there and bring poetry to the people. I want to, I want to go to all the places I can in this two-year span to commune with everyone. Uh, my thing, I do a, what I call an Indiana Chitlin Circuit, which plays off the Chitlin Circuit that they had back in the day where mm-hmm. uh, Blacks couldn't go into, you know, into establishments and stuff like that. They had to yeah. come in the back. Or if they were coming to town, like, just like they had the Green Book and all that thing, all that stuff, they had to, there are places they could go. So they were playing more like in juke joints and stuff like that after hours. And people would have them come in, you know, they give them a little money, they could sell their wares and stuff like that. And, you know, then they get out. So the Indiana Children's Circuit is like that, that I do at school. It's just me doing it. So I try, if I have the money to bring poets in and we do a little, uh, I introduce them, then we do a round robin of all the poets. Then everybody, usually with the way I do it at school is each poet gets like 20 minutes or 25 minutes to read their stuff. Then uh, we read a poem together. And then after we have a Q&A and sometimes food or something to that extent. And I want to take that on the road. I want to do what I, I'm calling the pop-up Indiana Chitlin Circuit to where I'm meeting the people where they are. So uh, we're going to find a couple of poets. We're going to get together, have a little jam session, uh, do a workshop, hopefully have uh, aspects of uh, music, uh, you know, in whatever part of Indiana I'm in and try something like, you know, uh, having uh, this opportunity where you can have food trucks come out or uh, catering, not, well, not catering, but aspects of uh, people to uh, bring food to their food trucks to the event so that there could be, it can be an event and we can commune and address that in like a three hour span or something like that. So I want to do that kind of like once a month in different places. Uh, every, you know, every month. As you are describing that, it sounds exciting because it takes me back to the times, the stories that my grandparents would share with me about, Mm -hmm. as you shared, the Chitlin Circuit. It's not some big grand venue where um, you come and you're dressed up and it's a little stuffy. It it takes Mm -hmm. me back to a more intimate environment where people feel more relaxed and then people are more receptive as well as to the art. (laughs) But but also, but, but people who may not be familiar with or comfortable with in, in that space, mm-hmm. that kind of a, an environment, it lends itself to be very, I don't even know if the word is, you're, you're an English prof, so I don't know if the mm-hmm. word is comfortable, but inviting, well, maybe so. inviting. I'm hoping, it's, I'm hoping it's inviting and receptive in the sense that I'm not trying to change them. They're not trying to cha- I'm just wanting to be open and learn and, and take things in just as I'm giving things as well. What I say I, I do is called a urban Midwestern sensibility, which means uh, I'm looking at the lives of people who've made it from the Great 
migration from like 1917 to 1970. And I'm looking at their past, present, and future lives. And that's what I tend to write about because all the people that are in Gary in Michigan in the tri-state area are usually from Mississippi, Alabama, you know, that kind of thing. Um, uh, and they bring their cultures with them and things of that nature. So what I'm writing about is this thing that this phenomenon that happened to where people who left the South and came up North address are a big part of the change in how cities are are made and built. They have to build up. So, you know, Chicago, New York, places like that, um, smaller places, but they have to build up so that you can uh, occupy those people that came. And they came because of the steel mills and, and uh, things of that nature at that time that were, you know, starting to boom and, and uh, so they can get jobs, send money back to the South to uh, their, their people and stuff like that or set up to where those people can end up moving up to the north with them. So in looking at that, these are the people I'm looking at. Uh, when I think about my grandmother, my grandfather, uh, uh, my father's side or my mother's side, that's what they were doing. And Chrysler is a, a German name. So you have that aspect of the Germans who came to uh, Illinois and Indiana to farm. And, you know, so there's a whole aspect of this melting pot that is us, but we don't want to look at that. We just look, we, it seems like we don't look beyond the color of our skin sometimes. In that sense. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, Curtis, while being named Indiana's Poet Laureate is a big deal, I want to mm-hmm. I want to focus on you some more because you've already shared, you count this as an honor, uh, you count this honor as one of many that you have received over the years. And mm-hmm. just in our conversation today and everything that I've read about you, I just find that you are just so humble. But the arts community mm-hmm. has just been so generous with its praise for your work. I want you to share a few of the honors that you have received, including if you don't mind talking a bit about one of uh, the pieces of work you've done doing drive-bys on how to love in the Midwest. And I understand that won an award as well. Yes, that's my latest book. And it, uh, CNR Press picked it as the winner. And actually, then a while, so it, it was in, they picked it as the winner in 2022. And then uh, things happened. Some, there were some setbacks. So we were working on it from like June, I think last year, all the way through December and got it. The publishing date was uh, December 31st, 2023. So it's just out, it's fresh out. And it's uh, it's a labor of love. It's a, a, the, the poem, the titular poem for the book comes from me and one of my friends who, uh, who, who is in the nursing home and I go visit her and uh the nursing home but well, the nursing home that she was in were run by um the catholics and so she had a lot of nuns and stuff around her so i would go up to huntington and we went to undergrad together and so she's older now and she's she's dealing with a lot of different things and it was just something about she likes coffee so we went to this um starbucks they had just built the starbucks <laughs> I'm not a coffee person. I'm not a Starbucks person. <laughs> so okay. I I Uh-oh. went because of her. I, I just, you know, I love her. So I went because of her. And so we go in there and everybody's looking at me. And she happens to be white. 
and everybody there happens to be white. So there was this kind of mm-hmm. thing that I was looking at and how people were looking at me. So I talk about that in the poem and it um and it became the title poem for the book. And so it's kind of like us, me disregarding them and the microaggressions and all that stuff and just focusing on her. So it's a it's a powerful poem. It's what I call a tornado poem. It's turned sideways, so you had to read it. You had to turn the book like 180 degrees or 90 degrees, I think, mm-hmm. to, to read it. And uh, so it goes on for like three or four pages of just, spinning like a funnel cloud, you know, like a tornado funnel. And it looks like that. And so there's a couple of poems in a book like that. So that was really cool to win the prize. And then for uh, all the stuff that we did to make the book what it is, I, I think the book turned out really beautifully, how it looks, how it uh, shaped, what we did with it. And I was just trying to get it out there, get it to places to get reviewed. We're, I'm actually going to be in Kansas City later this week at AWP. It's a conference for writers. Uh, so I'm going to be reading at three different venues. Uh, one of the other places I'm a fellow at is Kavi Canem. And uh, that reading is on Thursday. Not that reading is on Wednesday. There's a reading on Thursday for CNR Press, which uh, published uh, doing drive-bys on how to love in the Midwest. And then on Friday, there's a reading for my friend does these poet baseball cards where he has poets on baseball, like a baseball card instead of baseball players. So you have your picture and you have your stats on the back and we're doing a reading for that. So it's been, um, Kavi Kanem is a big thing because they're African-American uh, institution who brings in African-Americans each year and gives them, uh, you have three years to become a fellow, but you meet with the top African-American writers, Yusef Komenyaka, uh, Cornelius Eady, and Troy Derricott started the wow. whole thing. And um, Kavi Kanem is just blown up everything in my life and and so (laughs) since 2000 and well i knew about them before that but i think the first time i went was 2004 2004 i think 2004 2003 and um so this changed my life i i just they have where you do a workshop you do workshops in the summer every day you're with a significant elder or honored a poet in the publishing game. And since then, I mean, I've I've met, I think, in just being in, in Kavi Kanem, I've now met every African-American, at least, who's gotten a Pulitzer Prize. At least, if I don't know them, I've met them. And so, um, I never wow. thought I would be sit, sitting across from, I, I told, um, you know, sitting across from Yusef Komenyaka or Terrence Hayes or, you know, Nikki Finney or whoever it is. And I'm sitting across from them and I'm sitting across from uh, Cornelius Eady. And I'm like, man, I, you know, I, I told him, I, I, I hate you. And he's like, what, whoa, 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 brother, what, why, why, what's up? What's up? Why you, oh yeah. And because he wrote this, this book, Brutal Imagination, and he brings uh, Mr. Zero to life 
uh, I'm trying to think, Susan, I can't think of her last name, but remember the woman that drove her two sons into the uh, Into the, the river? Uh, river? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So he, he, he brings to life this black man that everybody is imagining. And he get, he has him in the car driving, looking behind him, and there's two, you know, the two white kids are behind him. And the way he does the arc of the, the book, the first half of that book, is he does that, and when she confesses, Mr. Zero disappears, and all of it comes back on her. Oh. But I was like, man, you, you said everything everybody wants to say. Wow. You said it in that book. It was be- it's a beautiful book. So stuff like being having me being in places that I needed to be, Kavi Kane on um, the VCCA in Virginia, wherever I am, uh, it's just made me more vigilant to understanding. Yeah, I'm in the right place. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Wow, I just I don't know if if that. I, that would have been a surreal moment for me, especially for you to be able to speak directly to them. Yeah, we, we're you, know, just, you have a small workshop. It's like right. 10, 12 people and you get, you, you know, everybody gets to speak. So it's really cool. And you're cool. six feet from greatness. <laughs> it, 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 it's, and then afterwards, it's, it's like those moments are great. But then afterwards, too, where you're having because uh, you're having breakfast, lunch and dinner, you're going into town you're going to the, what's his name? I'm trying to think of his name. That was the artist in Pittsburgh that did the tomato cans and stuff. Uh, uh, oh, I can't shit. think of his name right now. But we're going to his museum. And, you know, and then you have the people who are doing the workshops or hosting the workshops. Then they're reading at the City of Asylum in Pittsburgh. And it is just so Andy Warhol. I couldn't think the Warhol meeting. Right, right. So, yeah, yeah. So, I, uh, so it's all these kind of things that just, even though they're behind me, they're still with me. They're still in my heart and my soul. And, and it's just like, these are the things. Now I know all these people. I always say, I think I have a, I know enough people from Coffee Canaan to, to be able to sleep on any couch in the United States in some places overseas. <laughs> oh, wow. You don't even need a green book, right? Exactly. Hey, man, I'm coming to, you know, D.C. or I'm coming over here. And if they, you know, most people accommodate you. I, I, I don't do that, but I just feel mm-hmm. I, I could if I needed to because that's how accommodating, accommodating they are with what they do and how they've been doing stuff. And it's just blown up into this, this fabulous, community of writers who were one once slam poets now they're professors now they're uh phd uh candidates now they're tenured now they're uh poet laureates they're uh pulitzer prize winners it's amazing it is just the talent out there and the voices out there just blow your mind it's, it's crazy and i love it curtis so, you know, we, we spoke about one piece of work, uh, doing drive-bys on how to love in the Midwest, but you mm-hmm. have authored other works as well, including Indiana Nocturnes, Our Rural and Urban Patchwork, as well mm-hmm. as a few young adult books. Again, many of which are critically acclaimed and have been nominated uh, for literary awards or and or have won many literary awards. Mm-hmm. I mean, your resume is just simply impeccable. Can you can you share a bit about your poetry that was adapted to theatrical productions? And I understand your sister interpreted some of your work as well, correct? Yeah, but that was 
what she interpreted, that was a short story. So that was called The Gift. And it's a story about, so like what I tell her is I write my female characters for her since she's an actress. Uh, Well, she's not just an actress. She acts, she produces, she sings, she, she does everything. So it was a thing that she took and then she put it in a short form movie. And she goes to the different, like the, like we went to the uh, Black International Film Festival. And so she goes to all the different film festivals, but uh, she took it to Gary and we did, I can't remember what we won for. We won for something that year, but she has other things like the closet, the British are coming. She's, she's been on the remake of um, the Wonder Years. She's had a recurring role on there. She's been in a lot of stuff that she's been doing, but she's in Austin, Texas. So she's in a place, too, where she can produce, direct, and do her own stuff or collaborate with other film writers. So now she's kind of between Texas and Atlanta doing certain things. She's gotten into comedy as well. But her taking my stuff and giving me that aspect of seeing it in another media form, to see my work on a page in a visual light was just, just blew my mind. And so that's happened. I've had poems that were performed in Chicago and New York by, you know, other actors that were doing stuff for HIV AIDS and things like that. I think that's what the, yeah, I'm trying to think, I can't think of the name of the book, but the book was around um, that kind of thing. So uh, actors were performing my stuff. There's been dance interpretations at the uh, Jewish center that has performed stuff uh, from, you know, where the poets are reading and the dancers are dancing to it. A lot of times there's jazz interpretations and different interpretations of me reading along with jazz uh, bands and things like that. So it's been, it's always some aspect of me trying to be accommodating. And I, I love that aspect of working with someone too collaboration, especially when they're different genres and bringing them together. Now, in addition to all of your acclaimed works of art, you are also a professor of English at Purdue University, Fort Wayne. So Mm -hmm. first of all, how do you manage it all? And secondly, what has been the response to you being Indiana's Poet Laureate on the campus community? Well, the campus, I, I was surprised because so of the eight people that have been Poet Laureate, one of them was George Calamars, was my mentor, then peer, then friend, who was uh, two officers that, to the left. And so now we have me there, uh, like, within a 10-year span. So you have two poor lawyers at the same school. And wow. so they're just jumping for joy and uh, have been really, really uh accommodating and loving and giving me the love on, on this. It's like, I can't believe, you know, you deserve it. You know, and, mm-hmm. and it's all that. And, and I'm glad that they, I feel in one sense, I, outside of just, I, I think I feel seen in that sense. And I wow. think this is what other people want wow. that look like me. And I want that for them too. And I want them to see me and use that to see that, hey, you can do this. And to be, you know, one, if not the only African-American full professor on the campus in 2024 is crazy to me. 
but look at what you can do. And so uh, I want them to see that. And it is hard to do all of this. I, I remember telling the classes, you know, because I had to keep it hush-hush for a while. And then when I told them, they were just like, one of my classes, because I've had many, a few of the people in that class before, they just blew, you know, they just blew their top. But it gives them credit, too. So when I'm writing letters of recommendation for my students to go to grad school or to get a job or to work in a writing center or whatever, and then I have Ford Laureate of Indiana or Indiana Ford Laureate on there, mm-hmm. that just boosts, you know, it's like, one, I know this dude, <laughs> you know. Right. It, but two, it's like, I think it gives them some aspect of credence by association for some reason. I think it just, it, it can help them out in that sense. And I just want to put that spotlight on it so that, you know, that does that for them so they can get into places that they need to be into and, and get the, you know, have this thing that I'm doing in their lives. Absolutely. Now, Curtis, before I let you go, because we've spent some time talking about Mm -hmm. just a few of your works of art, how can our listening audience find the complete list of all of your works so that they can go ahead and get more information about you? Well, the complete list is on my CV, so they can contact poetchrysler.com. So that's P-O-E-T-C-R-I-S-L-E-R.com poetchrystal.com and they can you know contact me and if they need to see the cv or anything like that i can send it to them so they can you know to get that um and um on the website though it doesn't have everything i've done but it has a lot of what i've done because some books were are out of print and things of that nature but they have i think 10 or 11 books on there uh, of the 13 that I have. Curtis, when I, when I say that, and I don't say this quite often, and I've had the privilege and the honor to speak to so many people from the Hoosier State, and particularly mm-hmm. in Northwest Indiana, but when I say to you that I have really and truly enjoyed our time together, I mean, I, I thank you for being generous, number one, with your time. Oh, no problem. But number two, I thank you for sharing so much because, you know, as you were talking, I was writing notes of, wow, he said this, he said that. So I want to, <laughs> I mean, you're just, you're just awesome. You're so humble. You're so awesome. So I want to say to you the number one, I am just so glad that you shared that you feel seen. Mm-hmm. That's powerful. Like you said it, yeah. but someone is going to hear that and that will be so inspirational for them. So I'm glad that you feel seen. More importantly, I am so glad that you are serving as a representation of the black diaspora. Well, thank you. Thank you. And I just want to conclude by saying this, that I look forward to seeing you on your crisscross tour across the state for your Chitlin Circuit style tour. So I cannot wait. I'm going to tune in to, to Indiana Arts Commission so that I can take a look at your schedule because I mm-hmm. will be sure to share that information with our listening audience and I will be sure that I am a part of that audience. Oh, great. Thanks. I, I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. I, I can't say enough about being a representation of, of, you know, where I come from. And hopefully I can do something that does help other people feel seen as well. You know, so that's, that's, the, that's the goal. And so when I go out here, that's, I'm hoping that happens. You have made the region really proud. We are all so proud of you right here back in <laughs> Northwest Indiana. And I thank you again for spending time with me today on Lakeshore Public Media. Right, thank you.